My name is Boaz, and I'm the worship arts pastor here at One Hope Baptist. And I know um, for many of us, we're slowly getting back into the routine of life, aren't we? With work and with school and, and just general routine again. And just the memories of Christmas and New Year's seems like such a long time ago. But if you allow me to wind back the clock and take you back to Christmas, my wife Sue and I, with our kids, we traveled up to Sydney to spend the holidays there with Sue Ann's brother and his family. And while we were there, we found ourselves in this double story retail outlet. Now, if I told you the name of this retail outlet, you would be well familiar with it. It's one that we, we, we see and we know. But what was striking and strange about this retail outlet that was really well known was that it was bare. Its, its shelves were half stocked. They were half empty. And it wasn't just a few shelves here and there. No, it was right ac across the store. So much so that it was rather disappointing visiting the store. And in fact, during our whole time there, we didn't really want to go back. Because what you expected to find in a retail outlet that well-known, that well-renowned, you, you didn't find. Is it possible that you could walk into our church and experience the same thing? Is it possible that people could come through these doors and be disappointed and not want to come back? Because what they expected to find in the church, they didn't find? Is it possible that a church could be bare of God's hand and blessing and favor? Well, sadly, I believe it's entirely possible any church can simply call itself a church and lack the living God's hand, not have any blessing, God's, God's hand or blessing of, of favor in this place, and still be called a church, but only by name. It's possible that people could walk into, into our church and find a gathering of, of people just like this, be seen doing a whole lot of churchy stuff, but lack any fruit or evidence that here dwells the living God. It's entirely possible. But I don't want to be a part of a church like that. And I'm pretty sure there are many of you here today who feel the same way. But it's entirely possible. So what are some things we can do? Well, how can we be sure that we are a church that lives and breathes for the living God? What are some things we can do. Well, today we continue this six-week series where we look at the three values of our church to pursue God, to build community, and to grow people. And today Matt has tasked me with exploring what it looks like to pursue God as a church. So what I'd love to do today is to turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. And for those of you who, who, who may not be familiar, the book of Ephesians was written by an Apostle Paul. And scholars debate whether or not Paul writes to just the one church in Ephesus or to a group of churches in the region. Whatever it is, what is certain is that Paul writes 
to remind and to encourage the church, to encourage us as believers of God, of Jesus' work on the cross. And so because of what he did on the cross, he calls us to not live like the world, to not continue in this lifestyle of sin. Look with me to, at verse 8 of Ephesians chapter 5. He says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So live as children of light. Live as children of light. But what does that look like? What does living as children of light look like? Well, jump down again with me to verse 17. And here Paul, he draws out two contrasts of what it looks like to live like the world and what it looks like to live as children of light. Verse 17, he says, Therefore, as children of light, do not be foolish like the world. Don't live like they do because you are children of light. But instead, understand what the Lord's will is. As children of light, understand what the Lord's will is. And secondly, he says, verse 18, do not get drunk on wine like the world. No, which leads to debauchery or immorality or a sinful lifestyle. Don't go there because you are children of light. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And so very broadly applied, he's saying, don't be filled on things that corrupt your mind. Don't, don't, don't fill up on shows and, and gossip and, and things that really do you no good, the addictions and, and un ungodly things like the world. Don't go there. No, you are children of light. And like, like a cup, Paul is saying, be filled with the Spirit of God. Be filled with the Spirit of God. But what does that look like? What does being filled even look like? Well, Paul, he gives us five examples. He continues on and gives us five examples of what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit of God. So follow along with me. The first thing that he gives us as an example is speaking. Speaking in psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. So firstly, speaking. And then secondly, to sing. And thirdly, make music from your heart to the Lord. Three things. The fourth one, he says, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And fifthly, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Five examples of what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit of God. And note the progression of difficulty with each one. Because it's one thing to speak psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, but it's another thing to submit to one another, isn't it? It's one thing to, to, to sing and to make music, but it's another thing to always give thanks. Which means that these five things, these being filled with the Spirit of God, they take time. They take time to develop and I would love to unpack every single one of these five things with you. But I know somewhere in the Bible, it says something about showing mercy to, to people. So my gut feeling is telling me that we should probably just look at one sentence containing two examples. To sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Just these two things that we're going to look at. And when I read these two things... 
there are two things that actually jump out at me that's a little bit hard to see in the English translations. Because if you go back to the original Greek text, there are two things that really stand out. So the first thing to know is that when you sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, note that they're actually in the plural form. He's not talking to just the one person to sing. And to, he's not saying, Gemma, Gemma remember, remember to sing, Gemma, and remember to make music. No, he's not talking to just the one person. No, he's talking to the church. He's saying, all of you sing. All of you make music to the Lord. And in fact, that command to be filled with the Spirit of God, that command to be filled is also in the plural. So he's calling the church to be filled. He's calling the church to sing and to make music. Not just the pastors and the leaders of the church. No, he's calling every single one of you. Sing and make music to the Lord. And you know, it's really not an accident that all throughout Scripture, you see song and music and corporate worship. It runs right through our Bibles. For example, 1 Chronicles chapter 23. Here, King David, he's just appointed his son Solomon as the next king of Israel. And look at what he orders in verse 5. He says, 4,000 are to praise the Lord with the musical instruments. I have provided for that purpose 4,000 musicians. 4,000. We have one keyboard, one violin, guitar, bass. That's one, two, three, four. We've got four musicians. Jonah, we need, we, we need more musicals on our worship team. <laughs> Apparently 4,000. We're a bit short. Does anybody here play musical instruments or have a heart for the Lord that would love to, to serve? Because apparently we're short, so <laughs> have a chat with me later. I know it's, it's a shameful plug, but you know, <laughs> this is what it says. Another one, Psalm 147, verse 1. Here the psalmist, he writes and he commands and, 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 and calls the people of Jerusalem together and see what he says. Praise the Lord. He's saying to the people of Jerusalem, how good it is to sing praises to our God. How pleasant and fitting to praise Him. Song and music and corporate worship. Why do we find this all throughout Scripture? It's because there's something about music and song that teaches us what it looks like to walk with God. It teaches us theology. It teaches us what God is like that just sticks with us. And chances are there are many of you here today who have been in church and have heard many songs before, and you have tunes and songs in your head that you just, you just remember. There's one particular song that I remember from way back. It comes straight out from Lamentations 3. Verse 22, and many of you probably know it. You know, it says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord. Great is thy faithfulness. I don't know how I know that song, but I remember when I was a little kid, six years old, I heard mom and dad sing the song with a community of believers 
And this stuck with me. Song and music, learning what it means to walk with God. And you know, another beautiful thing that comes when we worship together, when we sing together, is just that beautiful oneness in the voices around you as we sing and as we worship God together. It just does something, doesn't it? You know, admittedly, there are times when I feel like I've got the whole weight of the world on my shoulders, and the song and the words, they labor to come out of my mouth. But as I stand here in the midst of all of you, hearing your voices, worshiping God, lifting up your praises to Him, my spirit is just uplifted. Because right there and then, I know it's not about me. It's not about how bad I'm going through things. No, it's all about Him and how He's greater in everything that we go through. No, it was back in 2012 when Suan's mom, she relapsed with cancer for the third and final time of her life. And one evening we found ourselves around her as she laid in bed, really weak and in much pain. And you know, her, sense, her, her tolerance for pain was only matched, if not bettered, by her incredible sense of faith and trust in God. And so it was the six of us that evening, Suan, her mom, her dad, Suan's brother, his wife, and myself. We gathered that evening around her, and it was amazing. Because rather than wallowing in her self-pity of where she found herself, she called us to sing and to worship God. She called us to sing Jesus at the center of it all. And so we sang with tears running down our cheeks and just realizing this is the end. But wow, what a moment. And I don't know what it did for her as she laid there. But in me, my eyes lifted from where we were and onto Jesus himself, the one who is in control, who holds it all in his hands. Sometimes words and conversation just won't cut it, but song and music and God. Wow. So remember this, church, that when you sing, can I encourage you that it's not about you. It's not about what you're going through. No, of course, it's all about God and how he deserves our praise and, honor, and, our, prayer and our honor. But realize that when you sing, you are encouraging those around you who may be going through what is probably hell on earth for them. But your voice, your song, lifts them into the presence of our Lord, fixing their eyes on Him. How powerful, church, that we could do this together. So sing and realize that when you sing and you make music, it's actually in the plural form. And secondly, these words, to sing and to make music, they also carry an idea that it's unyielding. It's unyielding. Because Paul, he uses two words here that actually carry this aspect that you are actually going through that action, through that moment where you are singing and you're making music today and you're making music tomorrow. 
and the following week and the, and the months to come and the years after that, you sing and make music when things are going well. When you're enjoying the blessing and the, and the favor of the Lord, when you have, you, you have that promotion or you have that, the, the new relationships and new births, sing and make music to Him. When you have answers to prayer and you enjoy the safety that He gives you, sing, church, and make music to Him. But sing and make music when things are incredibly hard. Sing and make music when your health is crumbling, when your relationships are on the rocks. Sing, church, and make music to the Lord. When there are no answers to your prayers, or when you're facing pressures and uncertainty before you, sing and make music to Him. Now, one of the best examples of this is, has to be the Apostle Paul and Silas when they were imprisoned. And I know many of you know this story, but it comes from Acts chapter 16 when Paul was on his second missionary journey and goes to this city called Philippi, obedient to God's call. But look at what happened to him and Silas. In verse uh, 23, it says, After they had been severely flogged, severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them into the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now listen to F.F. F. Bruce's, this New Testament scholar's commentary of these stocks. He said, these stocks had more than two holes for the legs, which could thus be forced apart in such a way as to cause the utmost discomfort and cramping pain. Utmost discomfort and cramping pain. You know, it's easy to read words like prison and stocks and severely flogged, but completely miss the reality of the situation. Utmost discomfort and cramping pain. Here they were, sacrificially doing God's word, preaching the good news, expanding the kingdom of God. And what did they get for it? They get imprisoned. But what did they do? Look at verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were grumbling at God for... No. Paul and Silas were blaming God for where they were. No. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Utmost discomfort, cramping pain, severely flogged, singing hymns to God. I know church in a gathering of this size, I'm pretty sure that many of you here today who are going through something of utmost discomfort and cramping pain. And I don't stand here pretending like I know what you're going through because I'm pretty sure it hurts a lot. But if I can encourage you from what Paul and Silas did, in their utmost discomfort and cramping pain, they sang hymns and praised God. So lift your voices, church, and let Him be the center of why you sing and why you praise Him. I'm not saying it's easy, I'm not saying it's pain-free, 
But what I am saying is that in the highs and in the lows, sing. Let your voices ring out. Even in, especially as we gather in a place like this with many people around us, sing, church. Let your voices ring out. Even if you can't hold a tune, that's fine. Because, you know, you're harmonizing with the rest of us. Well, so, sort of. <laughs> Let, let's face it. Some of us are going to sound a whole lot better in heaven when we're given new bodies than we are here on earth. Paul, he didn't say sing in tune. He didn't say sing like Marie or April. Now look at what he says. Ephesians 5 verse 19, he says sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. He's not concerned about how well you sing. What he is concerned about is what's in your heart. He's concerned about who is in your heart, who dwells in you. And we know that as Christians, when we accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, he dwells in our hearts. And because of him, you know that your life has been changed. You realize the significance of his work in your lives and that your life is not the same. And so if not for any other reason, church, sing from the depths of your heart for what he's done in your lives because he's greater than anything else that happens around us. And maybe that's why some of us don't sing. It's because we haven't given him every part of our lives, which includes our lips and our song. Ramon, concerned about scrutinizing every fine detail of a Sunday service, of how we don't, we're not singing your favorite songs, or how the sound just doesn't sound right for you, or how the, the musos have played the wrong chord, and oh, this is all bad. <laughs> but let me ask you this question, that if we stripped all this away, we took the lights, the speakers, and the instruments, and we just had each other on the Sunday service, how differently would you sing from your heart to the Lord? If we took it all away, how differently would you sing and worship the God who has changed your life forever? Because really all these are just tools that we use to worship God. And if our focus are on, on these tools, then I'm afraid we've missed the point. It's not about this. No, Paul's concerned. He's, the only thing he says that matters when you sing to the Lord is not with the best equipment, the best music team, the best singers. No. He said the only thing that matters is your heart before the Lord. So sing, church. In the highs and the lows, be unyielding in your song and in your music. So what can we do? What are some things we can do that, that where we can put this into practice? Well, if I can go back to this analogy of us being like a cup again, we know that a cup is meant to be filled. And what goes in really matters. 
Because if you fill your life with filth, then filth is what you get. If you fill your life with greed and selfishness and pride and ego and manipulation and lust and addictions, then that is what you get. And we wonder why our lives are not filled with joy and peace and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. Because what goes in really matters. But if we fill our lives with clean, refreshing, life-giving water, then life is what you get. And as you continue to let your life be filled with the Word of God, allowing your life to be filled with the Spirit as you allow Him to work and move in your life, as you live in obedience to Him, in submission to Him, your life begins to overflow as it pours out into the world around you. And you know that you are not causing yourself to overflow. No, it comes from somewhere else. It comes from the Spirit of God as He does His work in you. And you're filled and you just can't explain why. And the song that comes out from your heart just, just pours out because you've been filled with this life-giving water that is fresh and renewing. And somehow the lost and the hungry and the thirsty are drawn to you because you know what goes in really matters. And so the first thing that we can do is to simply know that we need to fill up on the good and not the bad. Fill up on the good and not the bad. If you're wondering why you can't sing out, ask yourself the question, what am I filled with? If you want to sing out from the depths of your heart that draws people in through these doors and realize that here is a church that is different, fill up in the Spirit of God. Let him change us from within. And secondly, the second thing we can do is to sing out in the good and the bad. Sing out in the good and in the bad. And we looked at it before with Paul and Silas when they were in prison and how despite being in, 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 in a situation where it's painful, excruciating, wondering why they're here in the first place, but no, they looked to God. And they just sang out because they know they have a heavenly Father in heaven who watches for them, watches out for them. And is all-knowing, all all-powerful, and has not forgotten them in the depths of those dungeons. So sing out, church, even when you're up to your neck in mud. As we close, let me read this commencement speech it was delivered by a U.S. Admiral, a William McRaven of the Special Operations Command. He delivered this speech in 2014 at the University of Texas. And he said the ninth week of SEAL training is referred to as Hell Week. It is six days of no sleep, constant physical and mental harassment, and one special day at the mud flats. The mud flats are a swampy patch of terrain where the mud will engulf you. It is on Wednesday of Hell Week that you pedal down to the mud flats and spend the next 15 hours 
trying to survive the freezing cold mud, the howling wind, and the incessant pressure from the instructors to quit. As the sun set on that Wednesday evening, my training class was ordered into the mud. The mud consumed each man till there was nothing visible but our heads. The instructors told us that we could leave the mud if only five men would quit the program. Just five men. And we could get out of the oppressive cold. Looking around the mud flats, it became apparent that some students were about to give up. It was still over eight hours till the sun came up. Eight more bone-chilling hours. The chattering teeth and the shivering moans of the trainees were so loud, it was hard to hear anything. And then, one voice began to echo through the night. One voice raised in song. The song was terribly out of tune, but sung with great enthusiasm. One voice became two, and two became three, and before long, everyone in the class was singing. The instructors threatened us with more time in the mud if we kept up singing, but the singing persisted. And somehow, the mud seemed a little warmer, and the wind a little tamer, and the dawn not so far away. The Admiral continues, if I have learned anything in my time traveling the world, it is the power of hope. The power of one person can change the world by giving people hope. So if you want to change the world, start singing when you're up to your neck in mud. If I can adapt the Admiral's words, I would say that if you want to change the world around you, start by singing to the Lord when you're up to your neck in mud. And as a church, soon a whole chorus of voices will join in, singing and giving people hope in the one who came to save us all, Jesus Christ. So sing, church. And let your voices ring out, even if we stripped all this away. And let it be known to the world that here lies a church that is not bare of the living God's hand, but one that lives and breathes for him who reigns forever. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for this morning that we can look into your word and the reminder of this of how important it is to sing and to, and to make music to you. But Lord God, we thank you that it's not about how well we sing or how well the musicians are or how well we run the Sunday service. Oh, Lord God, you are looking for our heart. And Lord God, I know that many of us here today who maybe find it really difficult to sing because of what we're battling through in our lives, outside these doors. So, Lord God, I pray that you would please, Lord God, give us the strength, the courage, and the eyes to fix on you as we sing. Because, Lord God, we know it's not all about us, but it's all about you. So we thank you, God. Won't you hear the praises and the song of your people as we worship you in this place, both now and forevermore. And we pray all this in Jesus' name and all of God's people say, Amen.